Welcome to episode 14 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dave Barker. Hello. And Jake Noble. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. The support from our patrons helps support the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. And it's worth mentioning that that since the last time we recorded, it sounds like Games Workshop is starting to ramp up its production again in the background, and hopefully independent stockists such as Element Games will soon be getting their supplies back to them again, meaning that they will be able to get them back out to you. So uh, yeah, definitely go over there and check them out as soon as you can. Uh, links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So guys, uh, Dave, it's good to have you back with again. Yep, thank you very much. I'm uh, quite happy to be back and uh, talking 40k again. And uh, Jake, it's it's nice to have you on for the first time since lockdown. How is uh, how is life on lockdown treating you? Oh, it's fine. Um, I said that with as much enthusiasm as I could. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Lots of working from home. Kids are at home. Not done much hobby stuff, but I'm well. We're well. I'm fine. It's good. And that that's that's the important thing. Good. Um, well, even with lockdown still being, like, you know, a thing that we're all dealing with, and uh, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, then me and Dave did speak at length about the various things that we've been doing to cope during lockdown and what you could be doing during the hobby when you're not able to actually get any games in across the table. Um, it was a good one. I had a bit of feedback from people that it was a good episode and uh, they enjoyed hearing all the different things that we suggested people can get up to because there, to be honest, there is a lot that you can still do. So yeah, yeah, I had a couple of people reach out to me directly after we were talking about how are you doing this, or how are you doing that, how did you think to do that? It's like just just give it a go. You know, there's there's lots of things that can be done around around the hobby. I mean, uh, I'm sat here painting miniatures again as we're talking, and we we know we do that. But all the extra things about thinking about what you're going to do when you get back, storage, uh, transport, bits, dice, you know, all those kind of things are uh, uh, great things to think about if you're fed up with the painting and you want to do something else for a while. Well, I might be um, getting some of my terrain out again in the near future if I can actually get hold of more paint supplies soon again. So that's something to look forward to. But um, right now, this evening, on this particular show, we've got plenty to talk about still which includes our usual check-in with the Paint Station Garrison and what we have been up to whilst we've been hobbying away. Um, it also includes our latest Community Edge highlights, where we discuss everything that uh, our community members have been up to over on the Facebook group, 
Um, our spotlight topic for tonight is actually going to kind of be two topics, but the first of which is Spearhead, the basically game of massive tank battles in 40k. Um, so this is from Chapter Approved 2019, and it's basically yeah rules for massive tank battles. And it's a lot of fun if you're a, a fan of your big vehicles and stompy robots and other heavily armoured units. Um, and then to follow that up, Jake has actually got a little bonus segment of his own this week because he's got a a very special project that he's been working on that's tied quite closely to Spearhead, as it were. So uh, <laughs> yeah. he'll get a chance to tell us all about that. And uh, yeah, then we'll have our usual couple of community spotlights on the end. And uh, it's going to be a good one. I've, this is one that's been in in the books for the show for couple of months now actually and uh, we wanted to do it right and we wanted to get Jake on for this one so I'm glad he's finally here and that we're finally doing it. It's good to be back. It is, it's been too long, been too long. Uh, so yeah, unless there's anything else either of you want to bring up, we might as well jump straight into our paint session garrison because there's quite a bit to go through. Yeah, you yep, guys I... have done, you guys have been busy. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, people keep themselves sane in different ways, right? Or insane in different ways, as some people say. And uh, I guess painting miniatures is one of my uh, small insanities, but I think uh, regular listeners have already picked that up. <laughs> well, to be honest, I've been finding it quite centering in a world of hectic domestic lockdown life. Getting a chance to sit down with a paintbrush is actually, yeah, it's actually quite a carving experience for me, even if I am dealing with a bunch of crazy mad orc uh, ingenuity while I do it. Yeah, I've always found painting to be to be the thing that I find most relaxing in the hobby. It's not necessarily the most fun, but it's certainly the most relaxing part to me. And when I when I had kids as small as yours, Tony, I, it was something I used to do. Take the kids when they fell asleep in the little carrier basket and take them out to the garage in the house I used to live and do painting. Give my wife a break, and uh, I would relax at the same time. Yeah, sometimes I have the very littlest one in his little bouncer at the moment, just next to me when I'm keeping an eye on him, and I'll be getting some painting done. And then inevitably at some point his big sister will come running over and disturb him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be back in a second, guys, with the paint station garrison. And we're back, guys. So we're now in the paint station garrison. And since it's been a while since he's been on, we're going to have Jake tell us everything that he's been up to first, which we would hope would be lots and lots and lots of stuff because it's been ages. But <laughs> go ahead, Jake, tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is lots and lots of stuff. Well, it's, well one big thing, I've done my, done my Bane Blade, um, which is one big thing, but um, I'm going to talk about that um a bit later on, I don't think I've don't completed anything else um, because I've been working on that Bane Blade for uh, a, a good while. Um, I think since before Christmas. Yeah, well before Christmas, actually. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty uh, sure I remember posts about it like last year when you started working on it, and it's a yeah, it's a big achievement. Yeah, because I was I was trying to get it finished for, I was trying to get it finished for the day after Valentine's Day because that was a tournament that I was going to and I wanted it for the tournament, 
and I didn't. I got I got a lot of it done, but I didn't get all the little bits and pieces done. But it was done good enough to use in the tournament. So yeah, I was doing it around before Christmas, and then after yeah, and then I managed to nearly do it for the day after Valentine's Day, and then I think I finished it in um, in early March. But um, more about that later. Uh, I'm currently working on. Well, I'm meant to be working on my Gorgon, which came back into stock with forge world late last year i think um and it was a toss-up between that or the i don't know if i'm saying this right the crassius armored transport which is like the big armored it's basically a massive piece of resin um, <laughs> it's but, a brick. Um, yeah it is a it is a brick uh, but i went for the gorgon and the gorgon i don't even know if i'm going to get it finished this year the way i'm i'm going because it's a I, I can't do it um I can't do it in little pieces like it's a lot of um it's a lot of effort because I'm doing a lot of new stuff on it like um I'm doing like chipping with hairspray and oils and um oh that's something I've done I've done oils actually I've been practicing oils on the um minotaurum money I can't say it the armored transport the armored containers that games workshop do so I've been practicing with chipping and oils for my gorgon and because I'm doing all this new stuff I can't like nip in and out of it because I feel like I need to sit down, remember how to do everything. Um, but the Gorgon, the plan for the Gorgon, and I've got all the bits for it. I've I've been collecting bits for, to do this for months. It feels like, but I'm going to make it like a like a Bulgrin transport with extra um, armored um, like roll roll bars over the top to make it a cage. I've got all sorts of extras from like third parties third party stuff and also the necromunda um i forgot what they're called they look like riot police um, the, yeah the palantine yes. enforcers palantine yeah so i've got some of those and they're going to be like the herders so they're going to be like stood on top <laughs> poking the bulgrins i've got like a priest to put in there i'm going to strip all the back of the gorgon so instead of it being like an armored thing with um heavy stubbers i'm going to put like a psyker up there priest up there you know all the people that you run with the bulgrins so it'll be like a a, a bulgrin command squad the word is. <laughs> yeah like a yeah like the bulgrins they're um it's their handlers. They're henchmen yeah they're handlers um squig herders yeah <laughs> so it would be it would be like a themed um transport a, a bit like organ. when you see like drukari raiders that are done out to be like the archons raider so even though it doesn't really mean anything in game terms you can see that that's the archon's personal transport and it's got like extra trophies or slaves or ostentatiousness on it yeah yeah and yeah. i've got a i've got like a big um i've got it here actually i think it looks bigger than a than a normal bulgrin um from artel w um they do, it's not called a Bulgrin, obviously, but it's like a big, I think it's meant for like Blood Bowl, but I'm going to change that up a bit and he's going to be the one at the front of the Gorgon, like coming out, and then I'm going to have other ones behind um, coming out, you know, the Games Workshop ones. Um, but if this goes on any longer, what I might end up doing is getting those Necromunda ones to put in it, um, which yeah, aren't released they, yet. They'd actually be really like, good because they, they look would a bit be perfect. More, they look a bit more rough and tumble, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, they took me by surprise. I didn't expect them to put Ogrins into Necromunda, but really pleased that they did, and they're very nice models. Yeah, so they would Brilliant. they would fit 
I think really well. So that's that's what that's it's a big thing. So in, I think what I'm going to end up doing probably is um, just chipping away at little things. Like I've got some third party, you know, Cromlech <laughs> um, turrets, and I've got a thud gun to do characters, which you know those things are easier to pick up and put down than like a whole gorgon and yeah. So so I'm um, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward, forward to doing it. it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to picking up my weird boy because it's been ages since I've painted a character model. Yeah, they're good characters. I think they seem like a lot of work when I've not done one, but then when I get into it, um, I do really enjoy them. Um, yeah, because you can you can put a lot of time and detail into them, but it seems like a lot to when I've not done one for a while. It seems like a big task, but actually, they're really they're really fun. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, Anyway, that that's me. So a bane blade and uh, not much else. <laughs> lots, of grand, to, lo, lots of grand I ideas. To, I wanted to ask you about those uh, use of oils, uh, Jake, because something I've not done for uh, I've not played with oils for about a decade. But somebody in, in my gaming group on one of our online chats uh, last week was saying that they've been using oils again, and I remember they took ages to dry. Uh, but he said it was really quick. How how are you finding them? Well. If you take a hairdryer to them gently, then <laughs> I was they about will to dry. ask, did your friend use a hairdryer? Yeah, they, do, they will they dry do, quick. They will dry like that. Someone that I actually asked and I said, I mentioned to someone, and I was like, these take ages to dry. It's been like 24 hours. And they said, mm. oh, they never, they said they never dry. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, they, and he's right. If you don't dry them, I found they will remain almost tacky. For ages, for ages and ages and ages. So, yeah, use a hair dryer, but um, they're absolutely fascinating to work with, and it's really hard to describe because they don't act like paint. Like no, they move to. about, don't they? Yeah, they move about. They don't. It's really hard to describe, and I really recommend using them, um, because you can do stuff with them that you just can't do with, with them. Um, you know, the the water based paints that that. That everyone uses, um, and I can't. Um, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a few weeks since I've touched them, but yeah, the, I'd recommend going back to them. Just pick up like a, you know, like a brown and and a black maybe. Um, and and there are hobby ones that you can get, and there's something to do with the hobby ones are better um, because uh, the hobby base ones are better because they have less oil in them. Um, okay. And the canvas ones, I think, have more oil in because they soak into the canvas. But you, yeah. yeah, you don't want that in the in the um, in the hobby ones because you obviously it's not going to absorb into the plastic. But I use the I'm going to butcher the name here Abteil Lung five hundred two A B T E I L U N G. Um, but yeah, they're yeah they're really they're a lot of fun to use. Um, yeah, I've been using them for like rust and weathering um and just fit because i've got these containers i've been playing with them and doing like um on my instagram there's one of the containers and i just <laughs> I put like the brown on it and then a black on it and then rubbed it around and then another brown and then a lighter brown and then rub that around and I, at the end of it i was like man that's a mess but it looks real and there is no way you could have ever done that with um acrylics and i did it in like 10 minutes and it just looked completely oh, wow. like yeah, it's uh, it, it's really, 
it's quite yeah it's quite a an amazing effect and i wouldn't even know where to start to do it with acrylics but yeah well i mean um, terrain is brilliant for that kind of experimentation as well so it's good that you feel like it's worked in the end yeah yeah i mean i, I think it, it needs i would practice with it. the reason why i got the containers is to practice because i didn't want to practice on the gorgon um, oh, no, because it's really a really expensive <laughs> model, um, and so yeah, I'd recommend practicing on something. And yeah, and like you say, terrain's brilliant because it doesn't you can't really do it wrong. Um, no, yeah, but yeah, give it a go, Dave. Give it a go. Yeah, I might try it again then. Definitely, I um, uh, like I said, it's coming at me from several directions at once. That should be trying oils again so I'm quite interested. I just, the only thing that confuses me is when you say plastic models I'm painting metal miniatures here tonight so <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. maybe that's my age showing again Jake. It, it, it won't it won't soak into metal either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well Dave what what have you been up to then because it sounds like you're You've got the uh, like the hobby bug, and you're looking for new things. But knowing you, you've always got a huge list of things you've got through. So, yeah, I, I've been uh, I've been fairly productive. There've been times when it's just been, um, oh, just have ten minutes and just just put some base colours down. Or I don't have much energy tonight. Do a bit. And there's been other nights when I was like, right, this is really enjoyable. I'm finishing this guy tonight. You know, it's um, <clears throat> there's been a bit of swings and roundabouts. Probably just just the same as uh, we've all been during lockdown. Um, whether you can get to stuff, but I managed to get some things finished. So <clears throat> I think last time we'd, we were recording that night while I was waiting for you to become available, I, I finished a, uh, a Necronom, a, a steely, a monolith uh, sort of a piece of terrain for Fenris Games. Um, <clears throat> and then since then, I've, I've done some of my night haunts. So I've got uh, four Miramon ranches uh, completed um, with, with a detailed scenic basis because I think they came from. I think they originally came out for Shadespire, right? But I, uh, I've not read all of the Age of Sigmar background. I just play the game for fun at the club, to be honest. And the miniatures are fairly easy to paint for for Nighthawk. Uh, but I've also finished two Tomb Banshees for that that same army as well, which were also fun and, and great to paint real quick. About twenty minutes to paint two miniatures. Ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> enjoyed that i managed to make do some heroes as well like you were saying uh I finished a rainbow warrior tech marine that i really enjoyed painting and he came out really well uh quite an, an older model again a metal model but uh worked really well with the contrast paints and then then the other the other techniques over the top to highlight him um what else i've still not had a chance to try the contrast paints yet i've got my first ones on order um but unfortunately they got tied up in the lockdown because I've got a, a Chaos Helot gang for Necromunda ready and waiting for painting, but I've got my like my palette of contrast paints that I want to try out on them. So I refuse to get started until I get those paints. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to using them. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they come through, because they they're not the be-all and end-all. They're not, not things that, that, that the only thing you can use. But they, they, they're an accelerator. They help me get tabletop standard miniatures done more quickly. I think they're going to be a, a really useful dynamic tool to use. Yeah. Um, and I think they're going to do quite well on Necromunda figures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else have I done? Um, I finished a Blood Angels Captain with a jump pack and a hammer, an old metal model, um, to go with the, the squad of uh, uh, 
tactical squad that I talked about last time. I did an RTB01 tactical squad that I talked about in the last podcast, and uh, they, they'll go with the Space Hulk uh, Terminators I've got as well. So I've got got nearly 500 points of uh, old style green based Goblin Green based Blood Angels now, and um, I, th- I think I'm going to do a bit more of them. I think one of the things with the Rainbow Warriors, I've done so many Rainbow Warriors recently, and they are my favourite army and my first love, but um, I'm just getting a little bit burnt out on painting the Rainbow, so I need to uh, cleanse the palette, as it were. So uh, <laughs> Just paint the, something in one colour for once. Well, that's why I'm trying to do the Blood <laughs> Angels. Although I think I might stop with the minimum size Blood Angels army, and I might, do, I might change it up a bit and do some um, Blood Drinkers. I choose Blood Drinkers as one of the successor chapters because they were Milk Traders, just like the Rainbow Warriors, right? And the Blood Drinkers are a little bit uh, more evil, right? They've, they've got these practices where they, they 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 drink the blood of their enemies and their servants um, in order to slake the red thirst. And um, uh, well, but it's there's, been... there's this there's this pact with a demon, right, um, in their background, which means that they, they you know they they've not quite fallen to chaos yet, but they. The practices that they've been given by in these visions that they think come from uh, Sanguinius, but they, they don't come come from this demon. So they're right on the edge, right on the edge of being. They're still a lot of this chapter, but they could fall at any time. And yeah, they're, they're 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 kind of almost like calm berserkers in in the yeah. making, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they feel very much like a, a good uh, foil for the Rainbow Warriors as well. So I think I'm likely to to expand in that direction. But speaking of which, the other thing I've finished is my first uh, Fallen Rainbow Warrior. So um, I decided that some time ago, as I've been writing some of my own background plot, that, that there would be Fallen Rainbow Warriors. And I use them as renegades sometimes, and anyway, uh, the Rainbow Warriors. But I've painted one with, instead of the blue base armor with the rainbows on, he's got like the black and gold base armor of the Black Legion. But then all of the details that I put on my Rainbow Warriors, the different colored feet and hands are the same as the Rainbow Warriors. And I've used the, um, the wings from the um, uh, Mutantations pack um, that, um, uh, that I've then painted as a rainbow across the whole spread of, of both wings. So really pleased with the way he's come out. So I've got my first Fallen Leader. And that it also is a bridge then between the Rainbow Warriors and the Black Legion that I've been doing. And, uh, yeah, and those together. You, you put a, a picture of Scarp in the Facebook group and he looks yeah. really nice. He, yeah. He and certainly uh, looks, uh, I said, I commented saying he looks very Zinchian with all those colours going on. on a yeah, does. definitely. He's got that I'm aspect to it. Out. But again, like Jake said, I was, I, I've been experimenting a little with different techniques. I know I want to try different ways of representing rainbows. So one of the things I did on this guy was with his sword, I, um, I, I based it silver and then used the contrast paints to put the rainbows on. And I just added, added a little bit of highlights in the same sort of uh, bright silver. And uh, it's still a rainbow. It still looks like a rainbow weapon, but it's different from the ones that the rainbow warriors themselves carry. So I'm quite happy with that kind of thing. Uh, and of course, I've had to s- come Sorry. Have you ever seen the paint style for like power swords or equivalents where they sort of alternate a high and low fade of the colour. Yeah, yeah. It's on either side of the blade. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever considered trying to do that, but rather than it being two-tone, obviously it's multicoloured, so sort of like every fade along the blade is a different colour tone. Yeah, I have considered that, and I'll, I'll be honest, every time I think about that, I think I might as well try and paint my whole army to uh, Golden Demon standards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> 
If it was something like, say, on a, a Chaos Lord's demon weapon, yeah. if he was a Rainbow Warrior, you know, if it's something particularly extravagant or fancy and you know, as a one-off centerpiece model, maybe try on yeah. that. I wouldn't recommend it on every combat knife. No, know, no. <laughs> it, it's something I want to try. It's on my. It's not on my, my short bucket list, but it's on my longer bucket list of techniques I'd like to try. I just, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the things I've read up on trying to do that technique involve using an airbrush, which is fine. I haven't got an airbrush and I can do that. But I am not sure I'd translate that to six colours. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, 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 yes, maybe I should think about it some more. It's a, it's a good idea. It's just uh, it the, gives me a, bit of, a bit of the fear. <laughs> the other suggestion I'd have that I think would make for a really cool narrative character, if you had a different fallen rainbow warrior whatever variety mm-hmm. but he was painted entirely in grayscale yeah i thought about that i thought about what i would do um, so he is the like the antithesis of the rainbow warriors now maybe maybe the rainbow warriors equivalent of cypher could be that uh, that kind of character that's a good idea um, i'll think about that and explore it lord chromatic <laughs> monochromatic yes <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that's that's a good idea. I think. But it, you know, it, and this comes from, you know, the same place that I always come from. Trying to tell stories and think about where the characters come from. Uh, this guy's, uh, uh, I've called him Legion. It's the name of one of the demons in in, in Christian mythology. Um, but it seemed like an appropriate name for, for a space marine. Um, but they, um, I've decided to call his warband Alexander's Dark Warband. For those of you with a science background will know that when you get double rainbow, the sky in between the two rainbows goes darker because the light is going into the rainbows, and that's known as Alexander's Dark Band. So I couldn't resist the uh, the pun <laughs> going into the, into the name of that's them. nice. That'd make yeah, a good I, quiz question. That'd make a good quiz question. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, that's that, right. that is a brilliant little bit of right. trivia. Peek behind the, the fourth wall of the of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> But then I've had to come up with another logo for them, and it was really that—that that was one of the miniatures that really inspired me. I don't want to do another one quickly, uh, but it, I, it was just taken, and, and, I, and I got through that that guy fairly quickly because of that. So, um, and that—that that was the last miniature I finished painting. Um, what else have I painted? Four rooms in the house, along with the kids and the wife. So while we've been in lockdown, you painted your kids and the wife. No, I made them do painting as well. That's all. You know, you've got to teach the kids how to do. Uh, how to do uh, two good coats, right? Two thin coats, and uh, yeah. get some good coverage on your base colours. And starting with bedroom walls is a good way to do that. <laughs> I, I had my eighteen-month-old uh, doing her first bit of paintbrush painting on a miniature the other day. There you go. What was she painting? A uh, wow. a Mike Wazowski Disney fig. Excellent. <laughs> I gave her green paint and blue paint, and he probably came out in mushy brown colour. Yeah, <laughs> But it was lovely seeing her picking up a paintbrush for literally the first time ever in her life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just great when, when you can start doing that and start engaging. And, you know, my kids are not so interested in the hobby anymore, but it's something they know know about and they know a bit how to do. And if they choose to pick it up, they can. If they're doing their own thing, that's all right as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, sorry, back to Paint Station, Garrison. Um, <laughs> I've also painted a white picket fence for the garden. I guess that counts, right? <laughs> it's all this lockdown stuff. We're doing so much around the house as well as uh, finding a bit of time to paint. Uh, and then then just built lots of things. As again, uh, infantry, primaries and firstborn. I built a land raider for the first time last week. I've never actually built a land raider before. I really enjoy that. Um, Inquisitors, 
I dug out of the lead pile, Calgar and his bodyguard, uh, Antigoris, um, and I've got some amazing Ewoks and Jawas I bought from a, a chap in Italy that uh, I, I found. So uh, they've been sat around since before Christmas. Uh, so I finally got around to assembling those. They just need priming. 40k scenery, found some old Monopose Chaos Space Marines. Uh, I think they, they may be making it to the Rainbow Warrior, fallen Rainbow Warriors uh, eventually. And I started uh, building them and priming some, some square basing stuff, particularly dwarves, um, for, for some old south square basin but i've also been doing some 3d printing so i've 3d printed an alien market scene three merchant houses which are like uh, sort of adobe type buildings which could be generically reused in lots of different ways uh, they'd be useful for, they'd be suitable for orcs as well actually uh, uh tony um, shanty town style yeah absolutely uh, but then, then there's some canvases like on poles like four poles with a canvas on top and some some uh, sun uh, wares and containers and and a, and a merchant that I've all 3D printed. So they're sat in the garage waiting to be put on bases and assembled more properly. And uh, and that was from a Kickstarter back called Starfolk from Ilgon Games. Um, uh, so um, that was kind of uh, that was kind of fun. I enjoyed that um, doing that printing. They just need to. I don't want to bring too much more until I've got around to painting those, but I've not not at all started yet. And they're just thinking about other things, like I said, blood drinkers, blood angels. <laughs> Painted I don't know how you've got room or time to think about other things. You've yeah. been doing so much of your lockdown time. Yeah, well, it's just just breaking out that little bit of time, um, and I'm surrounded by. It. I mean, one of the things for me is my workspace at home, where my my work laptop is that I've connected up to, you know, my own computer setup, so I can flip between the two. Um, is in my hobby room, right? So. When I'm in the middle of the meeting and I'm not on video and I turn around and think, I'm immediately presented with all of my space marines and my period guard and my squats and, you know, everything's in this room. So that, although I'm not you're, doing very much work on either hands, it's in my head, right? You're, you're there in the team meetings and they're talking about um, business strategies and first thing you respond to as well. The Codex Astartes advises this course of action. <laughs> no, 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 no fear. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I've not hidden it. I know a lot we're using Zoom. I'm sure, I'm sure you guys are using either Zoom or similar tools. And, and tools like this have this ability to hide your background. And a lot of my colleagues are doing that. They don't want to, they've either got plain walls, they want to put something more interesting, or they don't want people to see their bedroom or whatever. And that all makes sense. But I've not hidden mine. I, you've just got all these racks of paint and miniatures and uh, all sorts behind me that people can see. And, you know, every day somebody I've not talked to who well, ping me and go, is that your hobby room behind you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I'm a massive nerd, but uh, I think there most people know that already. <laughs> so I've gone on for a while, but um, yeah, I, I have been kind of busy. So uh, that's kind of me, really. Uh, but Tony, we've uh, not come to you yet. What have you been up to? I have been painting more orcs. Really? <laughs> really. <laughs> um, I'm actually, it's funny. Because I usually have so many different places that I paint, I almost have little different projects going on in each of them. Mm-hmm. And since this whole sort of change um, has happened, I now have a more focused time when I get a chance to paint. So I don't have lots of different projects on the go at the moment like I typically do. Um, so really, I've only been working on sort of two things since the last show, um, and that is the... Megatrack scrap jet and the Wazbomb blaster jet, one of which has wheels, one does not. So yeah, I managed to finish literally yesterday. 
no, not yesterday, the day before, I finished the Megatrack Scrapjet. Um, that was a lot of fun to work on. Um, I've been really, really enjoying working on these new Hawk buggies. Um, and I wasn't sure how well my paint scheme was going to translate to it initially. Because it's got a lot of rockets on it. And rockets tend to be more a spot colour on my models. Because I like to use them as an opportunity to introduce red to the paint scheme. But the red doesn't typically go very well with the dark blue that I've got going. Not when there's also green skin in there as well. But actually, yeah. it came out really well. Um, I was actually really pleased with the overall effect. And it didn't detract from it. I ummed and ahmed for a while on whether or not to paint the tip of the... Uh, like, the hull or the fuselage, whatever it's called. Uh, basically, the, like, the, the drill tip nose has a sort of like a segment of the hull that can be painted as a highlight colour and I was tempted to do that in red because a lot of these sort of like aircraft style designs have that. Yeah. I decided against it because I thought it was going to be too garish on mine and I'm glad I didn't do it. You, um, you were worried it was too garish for orcs. Yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> like... I think there's a fine line to tread with, um, like, art paint schemes. There is. There is. Yeah, and it's one of these things where you can add just one or two things that take it too far, and then it does look goofy and not sort of, like, threateningly savage. And I prefer yeah. to go for that more savage, you know, uh, scary alien monster that an orc is, not the goofy, you know, wearing squigs on their heads for hair, sort of wielding guns that only work because they think they work, sort of mentality. Yeah, see, I'm, no, I'm, I'm very much a, a second edition uh, favourite of my, my orcs. Uh, I, I don't mind that goofy squig wearing uh, sort of comic book style of the clans, but uh, but it's not for everybody, and your, your orcs are clearly not in that category. Um, yeah, I prefer favorite. thinking of their sort of zaniness has been more free-spirited so it's mm. not that they're literally comedic it's more that they are just they, they wear their emotions on their sleeve sort of thing it's just that those emotions usually tend to be about having a good fight or blowing stuff up <laughs> <laughs> it's, in, it's well, yeah. interesting because the only other time i've painted orc i didn't like it and i think that's because i th- i thought they should be you know, wacky and zany and all these different colours and a lot going on. But but thinking about it how you're thinking about it, it makes them about 2% more attractive to paint, which is a big increase <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, so for example, I don't like covering mine in um, lots of like dog tooth patterns and things. I quite like the checkers, but I like the way I do them on the Death Skulls, because I actually have it as a light blue check against yeah. a dark blue check. So the whole checker pattern is more muted. It's not like uh, this dark black and white contrast, which when it's all over the place, just makes them look a bit, say, too patterned, almost. Yeah, but equally, um, your guys are not goths, are they? So No. <laughs> um, I, I quite like to try and achieve the impression that a lot of orcs get in the Black Library novels. So 
when you read any sort of the books where it's from the perspective of like a guardsman or something and they're fighting orcs, orcs are terrifying to them. Yeah. Like they are these proper monsters. They're sort of things that you're the boogeymen in the night, these uh, monsters in the cupboard that kids are scared of. That idea of just this big, burly, fanged creature that's going to just try and rip you apart. You know, that's what they are. But then you add in their technology, their weaponry, their psychics, like the weird boy craziness, vomiting goo and flying giant green fists through the air and so on. And then you can take it to a degree of silliness. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through after. reading the, the, the War of the Beast series. And um, that is very much more that style of what you describe. Uh, where it's it's terrifying and not zany, but it is there's an anarchy to it. Uh, yes, but, but there's also a, a terrifying aspect where there, there's big and so, you know unnerving as space marines, these massive muscle bound creatures that will just take you apart. So I think the scrapjet is almost a good example of this because there's two ways of doing it, and I think the shock jump dragster is another one that's a good example of this. You can approach it two ways because it's. So it's it's an aircraft that's lost its wings and an orc has decided to put wheels on it because it's crashed, you know, and they don't want to give up on it. So they're now driving this, you know, half-crashed and wrecked um, jet engine across the ground now and they're just going to drive it through people. And I see it as there's two ways of, doing, of sort of looking at this. There's either the zany version that's like, look at me, I'm in a plane, but it's on the ground. Isn't that silly and hilarious? Um, or they've seen that they're trying to imitate humans in that way and gone like, oh, look at us um, dressed and painted up in the way of like um, old Terran, you know, Blitzkrieg sort of like appearances. Or you've got the second approach, which is just that it probably was a burner bomber or some other aircraft and it has been shot down and destroyed, but the Orc survived the crash and he doesn't want to give up on his his good vehicle like he does not want to let the mech boys scrap it he says no stick some wheels on it and I'll still go prove that I can kill some humies yeah <laughs> and I prefer that approach this idea that it's just it's just another weapon of war to them it doesn't matter that it once was an aircraft it's now with this uh, buggy that he's going to use to get a good scrap in and fire some dacker with that's quite good for the Deskulls. It's you the way you describe it, it's almost like he's looted his own vehicle. Yeah, I mean chances are he probably looted someone else's. But he yeah, thought it wasn't yeah, LA to waste. <laughs> that's true. Um So yeah, I'm 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 really pleased with it and I have to say there's that little detail where you can mount one of the rockets like it's in mid flight. So it's sort of like suspended by a smoke trail. Yeah. That was interesting to paint because I've never done anything quite like that where you have to do like the transition of uh, like a flame tip off the rear of the rocket into a sort of puffs of smoke where it was. And uh, it looks that really was good. Nice... Yeah, yeah, it looks it... really good. Thanks. And <laughs> it looks like it's peculiar when you see it in person because it's this rocket that's just kind of like stuck out in front of the rest of the model, but it doesn't look bad. It looks good. It, it's surprising amount of like movement in a static object yeah um, well done <laughs> cheers I've never done that 
And then, in addition to the scrap jet, I've also been working on the Wasbomb Blaster Jet, which is an actual full-scale orc aircraft. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed working on it, but it's been more of a project than I expected it to be. Because there is so many large details on this thing. I've been looking at the uh, DACA jet I've got built up and almost envying working on it because that one's a lot more stripped back. That's basically just like smooth bodywork and six big shooters sticking out of the wing tips. This thing has rear-facing twin um, tail guns, like a two-pronged rear fin tail, a like massive engine block stuck on the front of the hull, a, no- uh, a drill nose cone, two additional wing-mounted like large zapping energy cannons, an underslung like uh, smasher gun, um, and then these like rocket-propelled extension engines on the tips of the wings, mm-hmm. and the fact that the mech boy himself isn't just an orc sat behind a steering wheel. He's physically wired into the aircraft, so he's got like a contrail of cables and headgear and all sort that goes up and over the back of the um, fighter jet into the custom force field. Yeah, I and find the... that odd. I mean, not bad. I just always imagine makes a little bit more mobile, and that reminded me a little bit of a gobo in a ghillie can more than... Well, in my head, I think it's more like he sort of plugs the back of his head in, so right, he'll... Okay. he's got like this cyborg half mechanical head and either it's just a fancy sort of helmet and he you know takes that off and the helmet is wired in or more likely he probably can just plug and unplug the cabling into the back of it well if it works for gaskell yeah um yeah. he practically just plugs his head into the back of his sh- uh, shoulders <laughs> after <laughs> magna unplugged it um but yeah so i've, I've enjoyed working on it but it's surprising how many, it's not details as such, but every section seems to have needed a different scheme or approach to painting it because like the wingtip engines are different to the actual engine block in the rear of the hull. The custom force field is done in a different like energy and metallic effect to the rest of the metallics. The... Uh, nose cone it has got this spiral effect on it which I wanted to do because I've not done that before so it was my first attempt at this say like spiraling nose cone effect on a flat surface free handed did you free hand it? I was going to say did you mask it or free hand it? It looks good I did free hand it in the end because I felt it was going to be a little awkward to mask it the way I wanted it to Um, so I just took my time with it and was just careful and um, I think it looks good from you know two foot away if you if you stood at a table and you're not looking too closely. Yeah, and it, it, even when you do, it's probably a little bit better than you realise. I I did something similar on a Messerschmitt five or six years ago, and um, it is. I was thinking I, I should mask this and airbrush it, and then I thought, no, let me just give it a go, and I can always I can always have a do over. And, mm-hmm. and at the end, it wasn't so bad so long as you had fifteen minutes to concentrate. With with masking, one one tip. I mean, I might be telling you to suck eggs here, but one tip someone I don't know where I saw it was ages ago now. But to varnish it after you've masked it, yeah, um, because you then basically seal the tape 
at the edges and you don't get any bleed underneath the tape. Uh, yeah. that, is, that is actually yeah. a good idea because I've experienced that exact problem before when I've tried masking. You're exactly right. I've done that before uh, on scale. It works. Models, I, I found it really well. It works really well. And sometimes you choose not to deliberately if you want something that's that's going to break up and be a bit scrappy around the edge. But you, you, yeah. you've got the choice then. You, you're not forced to have the scrappy edge because you've not done that. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, anybody thinking of doing that who's not done it before, you're absolutely right, Jake. It's a great technique. Just, just varnish over. Um, uh, after it's masked, and, and then the paint doesn't leak and go funny underneath. Yeah. Uh, same with transfers as well, especially if you're going to paint over a transfer, uh, varnish over the transfer, then stops uh, any of the, the ink in the transfer bleeding and mixing with the paint. Awesome. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, Tony. I, I hijacked <laughs> I had the problem. You, you looted it. <laughs> yeah. yes. um, so I, I'm going to loot it right back. Uh, but yeah, basically. Uh, and the only other thing that I found that I wanted to do on the deck, uh, the blaster jet, was the fact that the weathering stage that I do, normally it's say it's just more like a edge highlighting stage, but done roughly, so it's this weathering effect. But I wanted to give it a more directional weathering because it's an aircraft, so it's not just roughed up around its edges wherever I feel like it, it looks like there's sort of directional um, staining and stripping and the paint's all as if the aircraft has been you know, flying through a dust storm or whatever and got scratched up. So it's just taking a little extra time and effort to sort of add that just little extra effect to that detailing that's taking a bit extra time, but I just think it looks quite good. I am quite pleased with it, to be honest. The wings look you know great. What? Yeah, no, they do look great. The, the stuff you posted so far, but you know what's a great technique actually for um, for achieving some of those uh, sort of directional weathering effects is oils. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, uh, I've been doing it really, really watered down Monfang, uh, but I can imagine an oil being a, a good way and to you go. Can, you can water an oil down with white spirit and. And apply it and thin it out in very similar sort of ways. Um, my my only frustration, as I well as I already said, is um, that I it took me ages to get them to a dry. But I've never tried Jake's better technique of using a hair dryer. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I found with oils um, is that you can do all sorts of stuff, like to streak them and stuff. Like you could use a cocktail stick to get a really like thin line, or you can use. I don't know, like a piece of tissue to dab it and stuff. But don't use something that breaks up. That's one thing that I learned. Like someone suggested using like an earbud or a Q-tip or whatever you want to call it. But when the fibres come off it, you end up with the fibres in the oil on your model and it looks terrible. So like use sponges and stuff that that don't that don't break up. Um, but you but depending on what you touch it up with and move it around with, you end up with like lots of different effects. Yeah. I mean, one thing is using gravity as your friend. You know, if you position it so that gravity will bleed the oils and the paints, yeah. whatever technique you're using, yeah. in the direction that you want the staining, then you might need to leave it to dry between stages or areas of the model, but that will do a very sort of natural effect to it for you. Yeah, not yeah. done that. That's a good idea, actually. 
Just as long as you don't, you've not got too much on there, otherwise you get a funny little sort of blob. But um, yes, you want to avoid yeah. the the dreaded coffee stains. But it, it does. Uh, you're right. It is. It is your friend when you get that. If you think it through, as you're doing it. I know that one of the um, sort of little tips that the various like GW painters and staff always say when it comes to painting a line of any sort is to hold the model vertically, regardless of the orientation of the line on the model, if that makes sense, so that you're always painting directly top to bottom, straight down, because it's the easiest way for your hands to naturally create a straight line. Yeah. But I'm hoping to see the back of this thing very soon, so hopefully in the next day or two it'll be done. Uh, the wings and the rear guns are all done, the details are all done, and I'm just weathering the hole now. I've got the transfers on and everything. So hopefully it'll be done in a couple of days, and then I can move on to the next thing, which is back to the boys. I'll be doing Orc Boys, um, what's it now, 41 through 50. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because it's been a while since I've painted some, um, and I've done a lot of vehicles recently, so I'm looking forward to just getting some infantry under my belt again. And a weird boy. My second weird boy is going to get it done as well. Nice. And uh, you're going to do him radically different or in a very similar style to the one you've already made. Um, a little differently. So it's funny. There's actually a little story behind them how they came into being because I wanted to build two weird boys, but I wanted to do just a very subtle um, sort of head swap. Basically, I like the um, like official. GW weird boy model because I know a lot of people like to use like the Age of Sigma shamans and stuff and just forty uh, k them a bit, but I actually really like the the weird boy with the copper staff and the uh, sort of like ragtag cloak behind him and the grots on chains. Okay, but I don't like his head on that model too much. And what I wanted to do is I want to swap it out for the like goggled headset piece that you get on Boss Snickrot. So I went and got a boss snickrot and I did a head swap. But that meant I had a spare boss snickrot um boss snickrot there hanging around. So I decided I'd make him into a second weird boy. So having looted this guy for parts because his his big sort of rucksack back um like um tactical backpack thing, that's gone on my uh Death Killer War Trike boss, so he, he looks like he's got all the stuff that he's been looting while he's driving around. Which means I've got this really stripped down Snickrock body. And when he doesn't have his headset contraption, like when he doesn't have his headgear, and he doesn't have the big backpack on his back, he's actually almost like a, a bare torsoed large orc. Except he's got suspenders on. Suspenders? Yeah. Because... <laughs> Now, the, now the, do you mean like American suspenders or British suspenders? So American suspenders them, are braces, right? Yeah, the American ones. So it's where it's holding his like his the waistband of his belt up, and he's got them these two suspenders ah, on braces. his shoulders. Braces, braces. That's what I mean. Braces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because too. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but right, I've got a it's... conversion idea. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just a really like unusual sculpt when it hasn't got the extra details covering it up. I'd say because he's just sort of like this big burly bare-chested orc and he's got these 
um, wrists full of like Imperial Guard dog tags um, around these uh, forearms. So when I've stuck the weird boy head on him, so he's got the slightly sort of like pulsating brain um, and the like the mad looking eyes, mm-hmm. um, he looks like a, a weird boy because I've I've taken the knives off, so he's not got snickerots like dual knives. So instead, he's just got a clenched fist and a pointing hand. Because Snickrot is originally doing the thing where he's like shushing the other orcs around him, so he's got the finger up in front of his face. He's just like, we've been dead sneaky. (laughs) Well, I've just adjusted his hand slightly, so that finger's instead pointing outwards in front of him. And it looks like he's just like calling his shot. Just like, you there, you're about to get zapped. And then I've just put together um, like a brass rod, um, wayboy staff with some orc glyphs and stuff and a skull face on it in his other hand and he looks like a weird boy but he looks like a a 40k orc not a an age of sigma orc that's had some shoulder pads put on him that's not is that on the group yet i don't think i've seen that no it's not because he's just base coated for now um ah, okay once he gets a few layers and washes on him and he's a, a decent work in progress then he'll probably appear somewhere but got it you never know Maybe he was on there and you just didn't see him because he was dead sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Good. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that's what we have been up to. That's a pretty pretty extensive paint station garrison and as I say, we've not even touched on Jake's main project, so I think we'll make our way over there shortly. So for now, we're going to move over to see what you guys have been doing over in our community edge highlights. So we'll be back in a second, guys. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we are back now in the Community Edge highlights. So we've heard about all the things that we've been busy in and what we've been up to, but now it's time to hear about what some of you guys out there have been up to. Um, So... Who wants to jump in first? Dave, have you got any particular highlights from our Facebook group? Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess one thing that stumped out to me is, is some of the stuff that I've seen in the last couple of days, actually, from uh, Adam Boyce posted up some of his uh, uh, Nurgle stuff that he's been painting. He's, he's painted some Nurgle Marines and some salt pox he ones. Is, he, uh, he's been a busy member of the community recently, hasn't he? He absolutely has. Uh, but those in particular, really nice painting. Nurgle's not really my thing that I want, but I, I can appreciate it. Uh, the only thing I'd ask uh, Adam for is a little bit more story. <laughs> the the miniatures look fantastic, but more story. <laughs> well, he did them as a change of pace to his Ultramarines, didn't he? And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're said. really, really good, these Death Guard. He's got a really clear sort of aesthetic to them. I like how they're not green. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot um, of the best uh, Death Guard models tend to be not green. But they still have that sort of like 
green still tone to them. Yeah, yeah like the, the model has that sense of the Nurglish green you expect, but without actually being in green armour. Yes. Yeah, because he's got like green tentacles and plasma and other bits and pieces that are green, but yeah, you still get the green, but it's not green, green, green. Yeah, it's not a it's not a green marine, but you can still get that Nurgle feel. It's very well done. And then I've been really impressed with Mister. Um, I'm going to butcher his name here. It's just Francisco, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, Francisco Vera. And I've been particularly impressed because he's been putting up regular weekly posts of what he's been working on. And sometimes I'm just surprised by it. He's like, oh yeah, he's just, this week I did this, and this week I did this. And over the last like three weeks, so he's painted up and posted in the group like 11 orc boys, 5 orc bikers, 30 gene stealer cult guardsmen, an Eldar spirit seer, a space marine apothecary, Eldrad Ulfran, the dark oath tribesman from Warcry, I want to say, um, and a corn blood beast. Chaos Spawn thing from Age of Sigma. Like, amongst a couple of other, like, third-party models as well. But, like, that's just in three weeks. Like, uh, three they're posts all, of reserve. They're all, uh, they're all really good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be almost annoying if we didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's impressive. He's making up for the lack of my hobby. I know, right? He's the, the yin to your yang. Yes. I, I I wonder yeah. whether or not this is his sort of like regular output, or if this is his lockdown output. Yeah, I don't think he said either way, but uh, it's really nice to see it coming through. Uh, it's really nice to see the photos on our Facebook group as they come up. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's always nice to see that you know someone out there is making like a lot of progress on this collection. Well, I say that I don't know how big his collection is. He might have a huge fountain of unpainted minis, but I'm sure at that rate he'll. He won't do very soon. I can't imagine anybody having that. Oh. <laughs> and then the other particular uh, post that we've picked out is one from Mr. Tom Blanding, and it's actually his planetary map of Ultima Macaria for his narrative campaign. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, it's it's nice, nice to see a map that's associated with a campaign. I've got a bit of soft salt for maps. Uh, but they, they, they do help put it into context and place around uh, what, you, what you're trying to do. But I think he's a bit frustrated, right? I think he, he's not managed to kick off his campaign yet. <laughs> yeah, I think unfortunately there's a lot of people are like that, myself included. I was supposed to be uh, jumping into a brand new Necromunda campaign just before the lockdown happened, so that's on hold now. Um, but yeah, like this, this um, planetary map that Tom's put together... It's like, it's really good. He's got, it's almost a bit like the sort of ones you expect to see in the source books where he's got marked out like pinpoint locations where forces are deployed or conflicts have happened and yeah. there's like drawn lines of defences and colour-coded territories and geological features and all sorts. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's the sort of thing where it might not be tabletop related hobby in itself, but it's a driving factor in a tabletop campaign and it can't be underestimated how important really putting the time and effort into these sort of things can really elevate that narrative in a campaign it reminds me of um, stuff i used to do when i was much much younger 
you know when um when your mind was just a creative blaze yeah um and you could just you know i draw this and draw and then you show your mum and dad and they'd be like that's, that's great nice, dear. <laughs> that that idea that you you doodled down in a textbook one day, but it's actually taken to like a level of completion and um, dedication. Yeah, the levels yeah. that we could never achieve because we we always ran out of time and had to go back to something else, chores, schoolwork, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. And um, there's ever more and more people joining the uh, the Facebook group every day. And I just love seeing everything that people are putting out there. But we've got a lot to get through in this particular show, so I'm afraid it's just a bit of a quick run-by on the uh, community highlights this week. But I'm sure there'll be plenty more to discuss next episode. So keep it up, guys. And definitely want to see everything that you're all working on out there. Um, So... We're going to move on now to our first main topic for tonight, which is going to be looking at the spearhead rules from Chapter Proof 2019. So we'll be back to talk about that in just a minute. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative play content from the Grim Dark. And we are back, guys, but this time it's going to be with the heavy tread of armoured tanks and massive vehicles of war, because tonight we're going to be talking about Spearhead. So, Spearhead is an expansion for Warhammer 40,000 that brings new rules for fighting conflicts between forces of armoured vehicles on the battlefields of the 41st millennium. In these cacophonous environments, speed, armour and big guns are the key to victory. So, the rules of Spearhead can be found in Chapter Approved 2019, and it's basically tank battles. Big tank battles. If ever you wanted to play a game where you just bring out all the Lehman Russes you own in your collection, or you wanted to bring, I would say, an entire household of knights, but to be honest, you can pretty much do that in a standard game <laughs> 40k, but perhaps one where it feels more appropriate because the person opposite you is going to have all their armoured vehicles. Um, maybe it's a, a force of like, chaotic demon engines, just like a demon forge has just completely emptied its vaults and you're wanting to bring out all your crazy possessed Iron Warrior machines of war, but can't be bothered bringing the actual Iron Warriors. <laughs> or if you're one of those folks with a, a whole legion of... Uh... Uh, armoured vehicles uh, for for your, your space marines and you, you're not really so much into 
painting the the, the ground pounders, then um, definitely this this kind of thing that you can use, right? It's a good excuse to crack out all your uh, grav tanks, your Eldar, without having to worry too much about your aspect warriors slogging along. Or if you've got a bad forge world habit, I guess. <laughs> Did that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, like spearhead, it's it's one of the, to be honest, simpler sort of like expansions to the core gameplay of 40k. But it's one that makes for surprisingly a different dynamic on the tabletop when you've got all these large vehicles rolling around. So we're going to go through the core fundamentals of what defines a spearhead army and the gameplay additions because there's like extra warlord traits and stratagems and stuff and then a couple of the missions that are in here so there's a uh, plenty to look at so first off really is the sort of like core mechanics like what is different when you're building an army or playing a game of spearhead compared to a normal game of 40k so uh, the first thing really is that um 50% of your army must be vehicles in a spearhead game, and that's not including flyers, so anything with the flyer battlefield at all. So basically it has to be tanks or your racial equivalent. And then if you're using a battleforged army, treat the red HQ icon as being grey in spearhead and outrider detachments. So therefore, these attachments do not require a compulsory HQ to fulfil them. So that is how you can play a tank army because you don't actually need to have a hq option in your spearhead and outrider detachments you can just go crazy on your columns of armored sentinels or your um, spearhead of basilisks you don't need a company commander ah uh, yes yeah but it doesn't fit this though yeah it doesn't fit this um does it if you have a company commander as the as your main dude. Yeah, because you could just include, you know, several spearhead detachments or whatever. And it feels weird to randomly have some, like, space marine captains running around with their whirlwinds. Or, yep. you know, a chaplain in busy uh, trying to inspire a trio of predators. But it, it, but it doesn't exclude them. All it does is... Yeah, it doesn't exclude so them. It just converts that HQ, compulsory HQ slot into a, an optional HQ slot. So you can include them if you wish to, but it, it's not necessary at all. Uh, Anyway. No. So it's you can you can do the full armored list, or you can do the armored list with some with some support. Yeah, the the only compulsory is that fifty percent of your army has to be vehicles. Mm-hmm. So you know both sides are definitely going to be bringing vehicle heavy armies to the game. Um, then you when you play the spearhead game as well, the other reason why vehicles are more important is because all vehicle units gain objective secured um, effectively so if you are roaming around with your Lehman Russ and he rolls up on some Space Marine Terminators if you're fighting over an objective that Lehman Russ is actually going to control it instead of the Space Marines it's not even contested it's just going to control it because you're you're on a battlefield of tanks you're in a spearhead environment that Lehman Russ is pulling its weight more than those Terminators in that kind of war zone yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's that sort of extra incentive to take them. I mean, <laughs> coincidentally, um, if you're playing with a spearhead um, for 
Ashramel Dharma anyway. Their leaving Russes can have their objective secured rule, but it's sort of taking the idea and applying it to all races. So I could have free battle wagons, and suddenly the battle wagons have objective secured. So yeah. they can be, you know, running people over their death rollers and making sure that they control the objective. It just gives them it just gives that bit more weight and makes them more relevant to the missions because quite often obviously the, any objective based mission it's sort of infantry hunkering down in terrain or whatever that can be key to holding these objectives but rolling one tank in there now is going to yeah potentially well, yeah take it the the um the cinematic experience of having a super heavy roll onto a an objective as well and just sit on it in the middle of the table is, <laughs> yeah. is quite it's in there going this is mine yes come come at me bro yeah although having yeah. a bayon blade right on top of an objective marker usually stops your opponent getting within six inches of it anyway three <laughs> is it three, three inches is it, is it? three yeah right yeah there's yeah yeah i don't think you would be able to get within um, within three inches actually because bayon blades are wide <laughs> And then the extra two things that you get when you're considering putting together your spearhead army lists is there's a, a new um, like D3 table of warlord traits, and there is a new tank ace stratagem. So, spearhead warlords, if you're playing a spearhead mission, you can use the following warlord traits when choosing your army. Um... I was just checking. I thought there was something that allowed you to essentially make some uh, like a non-vehicle character into a character or equivalent, but I don't think there is. I must have imagined that. I mean, I know most armies have the option of taking. Um, it's a, a tank ace stratagem. Vehicle. Yeah, but it doesn't tank. actually make them a character, does it? It doesn't make them a character, but it gives them that character-like behavior. For... Yeah, so it's just like it's... Uh, when playing a spearhead mission, you can use the following warlord traits when choosing your army. Um. But they would still have to be a character vehicle in the first place in order to be eligible to take a warlord trait. Is that correct? You have to be a character, don't you? You can't just pick like a model. Yeah, it has to be a character to take a warlord trait. Yeah. To be the well, I mean, like trait. I say, it's it's not really a problem because most armies, I think, do have access to some variety of vehicle character, be it um, Lehman Rust tank commanders or. Um, Things like Librarian Dreadnoughts for Blood Angels. Yeah. Um, is there an Eldar one? I don't think the Wraith Knights count, do they? Because they're monsters. But like, there's a uh, like Long Strike and stuff for Tau. There's uh, yeah. Um, Death Killer War Trikes for Orcs, stuff like that. Like most armies do tend to have, I think, some sort of option that is a vehicle character. Um, there might not be lots of choices per army, but there's certainly some. So anyway, there are three new warlord traits. Um, Armor Slayer. Uh, reroll wound rolls of one for attacks made by this warlord that target an enemy vehicle. You can reroll failed wound rolls instead if the target vehicle has a toughness characteristic of eight or more. Um, defensive Gunner. When this warlord makes an attack with a weapon profile with a strength characteristic of five or less... You can reroll hit and wound rolls if the attack targets an enemy infantry unit that is within 12 inch of your warlord. Right, so <laughs> that's basically using your sort of 
small arm weaponry, things like your heavy bolters and so on, to keep the enemy infantry away, and you're an expert at it. Um, and Indomitable Spirit. If this warlord would lose a wound, roll d6 on 6 plus the wound is not lost. In addition to the statue on movement phase, this warlord regains one lost wound. I like that one, because that's kind of just representing a particularly tough tank or vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all nice, those. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. It's, it's nice the idea of having a, a tank commander who gets to reroll ones um, against other enemy vehicles, or um, <laughs> uh, what other examples are there? Like my my death killer war track of a six up field up in and a, a wound regen. That'd be nice. Yeah, I like I like that wound regen one, particularly on on, on a large vehicle because. Uh, if it if it was on a smaller character that only has four wounds, that would be a bit more unbalanced than it is when when you're using it on lemon or so something something much larger, which has got quite a larger wound count. It's not quite as uh, unbalanced. It'd be quite fun to use on my uh, uh, Necron Catacomb Command Badge. Exactly, <laughs> that, that already regains a wound each turn for living metals. It begin two back a turn. That's evil. <laughs> and it has quantum shielding and then it'd have a six up field up in <laughs> that'd be fun um, but yeah so it, it's interesting seeing like this set of free warlord traits that you can pick from that are clearly intended for use on a vehicle character as I say defensive gunner practically screams tank commander for those heavy bolters um, but in addition to the warlord traits that are particularly useful or helpful for these like fame uh, these head vehicles, these tank commanders. You actually have the tank ace stratagem that uh, both players can use. So, uh, use this stratagem before the battle. Pick one vehicle model from your army that is not Titanic for one CP, or pick one Titanic vehicle uh, um, from your army for three CP. Uh, add one to hit rolls made for that vehicle model until the end of the battle. In addition, reroll hit rolls of one for friendly vehicle models whilst they're within six inches of this model. You can only use a stratagem once per battle. So basically, this is the kind of thing which both players are going to... You're both going to use this because you're basically designating your pretty much your commander, probably. Sort of like, or signature vehicle. So you, for example, Jake, I assume you'd probably nearly always use this with being blade. Yeah. Yeah, if if I was taking it, which probably should in this, but yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then you'd have... probably have someone like, um, I guess not Pask because he'd have his own warlord trait, but you could have like a tank commander who is your warlord, and then he gets one of these uh, unique warlord traits alongside the fact that you've got a tank ace commanding you, um, Bane Blade, and then maybe you do have Pask as well, and all of a sudden. As a guard player, you've got like three key command vehicles across your spearhead force. Yeah, that would be a, a sight. Also, there's the new tank case stuff that you can take anyway with guard. Yeah, so when we originally thought about doing this episode, they hadn't got to that point in the Psychic Awakening yet, but yeah, there's a load of new actual tank case stuff dedicated for guard in there. Yeah. Um, great for the greater good, was it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, for a greater good, expansion, whichever psychic book it was. Um, but yeah, like mix that in here as well, and the Astra Militarum really, I think, are the uh, the experts in the spearhead warfare. 
yeah, it, it, yeah, there's some nice stuff in that. Um, yeah, maybe a bit overpowered. I don't know. Might end up be overpowered in a mission like this. But you know, I suppose I imagine fine. some of them you could probably retroactively say both players could make use of. You could probably sort of like jimmy across the tank case rules in the guard to some sort of racial equivalents for certainly things like Tau, Eldar, maybe even Orcs. Yeah. Certainly Gene Steeler cult. <laughs> and that, that's a lot of what we do and a lot of what we talk about on this on this podcast, especially is, is taking these rules and, and reapplying them and using them. We didn't really talk about that when we've we've had a couple of discussions about the different psychic awakening books we've talked about. But actually if if you want to reuse these rules and they're balanced and you've got an opponent who's um, open to that, you know small changes to, to, to make for a, a more fun narrative game go ahead and do it right it's your games you don't have to follow the rules strictly if they uh, if you agree to give it a go yeah yeah and and to be honest that's kind of just all the the bare bones stuff you need to play spearhead it's basically just this set of rules where both players use 50% of their force as vehicle units. Um, vehicles all have objective secured, giving them more value over non-vehicle units in these missions. There's a new set of warlord traits for character vehicles to make use of, and everyone gets to use the tank ace stratagem once each for another key vehicle to get that plus one to hit on itself and a, a reroll aura of ones for friendly vehicles. Yeah. I mean... From a list composition point of view, anyway, like there are then things such as the tank graveyard battle zone, um, which is uh, sort of like an optional but encouraged battle zone for use in spearhead games. Yeah, um, I really like this battle zone. It's um, it's a nice one, and I could see possibly even doing that um, with um, not using spearhead. I mean, that battle zone would work anywhere, right? Yeah, so I was going to say that because it's basically just an extra battle zone that you could yeah. use in any sort of game mode. Um, it just comes with two extra rules. So there's one unexploded ordinance. Each time a unit advances, roll a d6 for that unit. On a 1, that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds, which is a little different to the typical dangerous terrain rules because you're not rolling a dice per model in the unit that advanced. You're just rolling a dice, and on a 1, the unit gets smited basically, because it's set off some of this unexploded ordinance that's been lying around this battlefield of wrecked tanks and other heavy-duty weaponry. And then the second one sort of plays into the advised battlefield setup for Spearhead games. So, whereas things like Cities of Death and so on that encourage using a very dense board... The spearhead missions suggest using a more sort of like evenly spread and a bit more open tabletop, where they suggest using one large piece of scenery per two foot by two foot playing space. Yeah. So it's more like these columns of vehicles are going to be maneuvering around like large scenic pieces of terrain rather than trying to work their way between lots of individual ruins 
And and I think that's really critical if you're playing spearhead because you, you you're playing mechanized warfare and it's it's not just just mounted mechanized warfare. It's it's the tank battles. Uh, and when, yeah. I, I've run tournaments when, in other game systems in the past that where you can play it in either a tank battle mode or a, a non-tank battle mode, and we, we've run both types of tournaments. And we really did need to set up the tables much more open so the tanks could manoeuvre around. Uh, and we found some of the frustration in the, in the tournament where people had taken more tanks, uh, but it was really focused on infantry acts and that the terrain was a bit too dense in some places and it was difficult to move around. So if you want a fun tank battle game, you really, you really do need to, to keep that terrain a little bit lighter than perhaps we would normally. I wonder if the roads, you know, the roads, uh, I don't know what they call it, abilities, mm-hmm. more like a rule, that plays into it a bit more as well because you, you, know, you set up your roads, you've got these l- l- lanes of where you're going to go yeah. And you almost encourage. I don't know. The unexplained audience ordinance is interesting because it's in, you want to keep on the road because you get that extra three inches of movement, and then you don't want to advance. So is it you sort of are you forced to go onto the roads to get that extra movement and not veer off and try and advance because in case of the unexplained ordinance, yeah. Or yeah. you can be risky and you can just be speeding through the, the wastes and take the risk of hitting something dangerous and explosive. Or you can yes. be an orc and enjoy it if you do hit it. I mean, I have to say, yeah. one of my suggestions um, is using the orc speed war battle zone um, as well right. because it's a kind of a, a way of introducing a third imaginary armoured force because that's the one where at a randomly determined point in the game a sort of like you uh, both players randomly semi manipulate a line of attack that like an orc speed while meant to be shooting through the battlefield as it's been chasing this conflict between the two players and it that's, like that's in one of the vigilus of, books right yeah that's in um i think it's the first vigilus book i think it's in vigilus defiant um and it represents you know like basically these orc speed freaks coming through and wrecking stuff up on their way through. And I could just imagine that happening in this sort of like spearhead environment. You might have these, you know, columns of Imperial Guard tanks fighting these demon engines that are laying siege to wherever it is they're defending. And meanwhile, there's some orcs just milling around the place that have been joining in and uh, blitzing through in all their buggies. Cause havoc and just move on. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like the the sort of second part of the tank graveyard is the uh, smoke weathered uh, wasteland. So that's after both sides have deployed, the players roll off, the winner then rolls d6 for each terrain feature on the battlefield. On a 4+, the terrain feature being rolled for is ablaze and is treated as dangerous for the remainder of the battlefield. Models cannot see through or over terrain features that are ablaze, and this means that a unit is not visible and so it cannot be targeted if you cannot draw a straight line between the attacking model and the target without it passing over any part of the terrain feature. Units are on or within the terrain feature that is ablaze can be seen and targeted normally. So this basically allows you to set up sort of like an area terrain piece with say wrecked vehicles, so just like some burnt out chimeras or whatever. Um, But you can say that that blocks line of sight. You know, it's got like an imaginary infinitely tall Mm obstruction because it's meant to be so withered in smoke and other 
um, you know, gas and oils and things that are all just ignited, and it's a it's basically a blazing fireball of a wreck. You're not going to be able to draw a clear line of sight through it. So you can it allows you to have a collection of sort of like standard 40k terrain, scattered terrain, ruined vehicles, stuff like that, and treat them more like these big solid line of sight obscuring building style terrain pieces. Which is key when both players are trying to manoeuvre around these line of sight obstructions. Also, it, 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 um, they don't, the flyers are not, I don't know, I don't know how they word it, but they say that uh, it works best without flyers, and I guess having these burning things reduces the effectiveness of flyers because you, you know, if they're in, if they're infinitely tall columns of smoke, then flyers can't just pop up behind them and, and see through them either. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think visually having one or two aircraft flying around would actually look quite nice when it's this, you know, big uh, armored conflict that's going on, but too many of them with the way that they work and interact in the 40k rules might sort of circumvent half the purpose of playing a spearhead game so yeah using this battle zone and the fact that flyers themselves don't count towards the 50 percent requirement of vehicles helps limit that yeah um and then the other sort of like key thing in addition to the tankiest stratagem which is universal and all racers can use that there's also a unique additional spearhead stratagem for each of the races. We're just going to go through a couple of them here so you can get a feel for it, but they're all sort of like unique stratagems driven towards the idea of mass tank battles and massively armoured conflicts. So, uh, Dave, give us a give us a race in the game at random. Oh, Space Marines, right? That's what I've been painting recently. <laughs> so, Adaptus Astartes. They get the Godhammer Laz Cannons for 2 CP. Use this stratagem when you select an Adaptus Astartes Land Raider unit from your army to shoot. You can reroll wound rolls for attacks made using this vehicle's twin Laz Cannons that target enemy vehicle model until the end of that turn. So if ever there's a place where the Land Raider gets to shine, it's going to be in a spearhead game. Yeah, I think Land Raider is much more likely to get used, uh, I think, in a spearhead game. That's it's starting to help both to encourage encourage the deployment of of, of the, the the land raiders that are not seen as much love as they have in previous editions. And uh, Jake, do you want to give us another one? Astromilis harem. I don't I don't know why you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering whether or not you might decide to give me a different one, but fair enough. <laughs> uh, percussive blast, uh, one CP. Use this stratagem when an enemy vehicle model suffers any wounds as a result of an attack made using a battle cannon by a Lehman Russ model from your army. Half the move characteristic of that enemy model unit uh, until the end of your opponent's next movement phase. Oh. So, yeah. Nice. Basically turning your battle cannon shells into um, like movement quake. inhibitors. Yeah, like yeah, quake rounds almost. Yeah. Uh, the description is a battle cannon shell strikes armor like a mighty hammer, leaving ringing ears and crew momentarily stunned. So perfect. What's quite good about that is that's good for firing at things like titanic targets. 
And it's something that you don't expect a single battle cannon round to make a huge impact against. Well, this is a way of making that shot count, because now you're going to suddenly half the movement of that, you know, Chaos Knight, or you're going to suddenly slow the, um, I don't know, Necromonolith. They're actually Titanic, I believe. Um, which, to be honest, those things are only movement six anyway. If you're reducing them to like three inch movement, <laughs> that is going to be really restrictive. Yes. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do for other things. Like you know, like Space Marines and Guard. Like they're they're tanky, aren't they? But then, like the Dark Eldar one. What's that? Uh, blasts of dark energy. One CP. Use this strategy when a Ravager model from your army selects one enemy vehicle model as the target of all its ranged attacks. Add one to wound rolls for attacks made by this Ravager model until the end of the phase. So basically, you're firing Dark Lancers at plus one to wound because you're picking, you're like focusing fire on a particular target. Mm. But there's um there's some really interesting ones in here. Like um, there's a there's one for. So there's a a stratagem for Heretic Astartes, another stratagem for Chaos Knights, and there's a third stratagem for Chaos Demons. <laughs> so like Chaos have got a range of them, but the that's like the Chaos Demon one. So an army which inherently does not have a huge number of vehicles. They do have some, they've got like the skull cannons, the soul grinders, um like there are a couple of them, but if you've got some demons rolling around uh, busy trying to flip tanks all day You've got the Corrupting Touch stratagem for 2 CP. Use this stratagem when you pick a Chaos Demons unit to attack in the fight phase. Until the end of that fight phase, when resolving an attack made by this unit against a vehicle model, a wound roll of a 6+, plus inflicts one mortal wound, in addition to any other damage. So you're like you're using your Entropic Strike. So just being a, a being of the warp, you basically just use it. In, you're shredding reality as well as armor. Yeah, but there's a there's a bunch of interesting stratagems. Although, ironically, I don't understand why there isn't an orc one. It literally seems like an oversight. I, I think what they picked up on really, Tony, is the, the keyword stratagem and orcs together. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. They, they don't really go, do they? <laughs> there's even but, a there's a sisters of battle one as well. Which, uh, yeah, where are we? Uh, Adeptus Sartus. First page. Yeah, yeah. One CP. Uh, is it? Is that Choral Guidance? Quarrel. Oh, Quarrel. It's like a choir, a, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A Quarrel Guidance. Use this stratagem when you pick an Adeptus Sartus vehicle model to shoot that has at least two other friendly Adeptus Sartus vehicle units within six inches of it. Reroll hit rolls of one for tax made by this unit until the end of the phase. <laughs> but yeah, there's like genes uh, to the cult have one. Adapt Adaptus custodes have one. Um, Harlequins, Harlequins, yeah. yeah. But not orcs, despite the fact that on the page of these stratagems there's a picture of a two, three even massive orc stompers, and loads of spare space on these pages where they could have easily just added an extra stratagem. It's not like they're strapped for space in the book. Well, clearly, that picture of the Stompers uh, got in there first and destroyed the orc stratagem before we got into printing. Well, clearly. But yeah, so basically, um, Spearhead, uh, if you want to play big tank battles, that's what you do. 
play Spearhead. Half your army's tanks, you get some tank aces, you get some warlord traits and some unique stratagems, and you just go at it. And um, there's like three Spearhead missions, which basically just involve different ways of trying to capture objectives or break through um, sort of like a defender's deployment zone. Um, but interestingly, they all use concealed deployment, which I think is really interesting. Um, so these are like the three suggested missions. Um, but I had a look through them, and there's nothing that sort of would be tied too much to the spearhead rule set. So I don't see any reason why you couldn't build a spearhead army and play any mission you fancied from yeah. like any book. Obviously, some of those missions might not work very well with two completely armoured forces, but you don't have to be restricted to just the three missions that are presented in Chapter Approved. Yeah, like, they're, um, like, yeah, they're not so restrictive, are they, that they wouldn't work with... No. So, for example, we talked a couple episodes ago about the Serpent's Lure mission. That's a very unique Crucible of War mission from Vigilus Ablaze. But there's nothing about using a spearhead force that would break that mission. So you could still play a spearhead game playing that mission. And I think that would work fine. Yeah. Um, you could play the Ambush mission from the Core Rulebook. Again, you've got like an armoured column, which is the force that's trying to escape. And then there's a fast-moving raiding force that's attacking them. No reason to say that couldn't be an entirely mechanised army. I'm sure there's a couple of missions that wouldn't work. For example, the um, Demise of a Legend <laughs> would be kind of difficult if you had two dueling characters in the middle, but those two characters in question were tanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be there for a while. Yeah. Especially when like both those models are considered to have like 60 uh, wounds or something silly in that scenario compared to like the 10 they normally have if they're a normal character and as a vehicle it might have a weapon skill of 5 or 6 plus right <laughs> yeah yeah, and then decreasing attacks as the uh, as they get injured yeah yeah that's true <laughs> then, but, um, it, w- it would be kind of funny if you did that with Chaos Knights versus Imperial Knights you play Demise of a Legend and you actually have a pair of knights having a titanic, literal titanic duel at the centre of the yeah. battle. So there's, there's ways it can work. Um, and, and conversely, I think these missions could be used without spearhead ones. The only one that's a bit more tricky is a breakthrough one, uh, which, which you'd need to modify a little bit. But the other two, I think, could certainly be easily used without spearhead. So uh, it's worth looking into. And then the one other thing that I wanted to mention because I, I sort of picked through it all in detail to see if it could work. Obviously, being a game of vehicles and tanks, Spearhead leaves something desiring for the Tyranid players. But honestly, I don't see any real problem with basically just replacing all instances of the word vehicle with the word monster and applying these same principles. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're playing Guard versus Tyranids and you want to play Spearhead, the Tyranid player just has to have 50% of their force be monsters. They're not fly, uh, the flying ones, yeah. the, um, uh, the flyer battlefield roll ones. Um, 
you all their monster units gain objective secured. Um, you can use the warlord traits that just replace it with like um, re well reroll ones to wound against enemy vehicles. Still fine. Um, when attacking infantry units with weapons of strength five or less, just replace it. Yeah. Um, even the tankier stratagem, you just pick a monster or a titanic monster, and it gets plus one to hit and an aura of reroll ones to hit for other monsters. Yeah. Like, I don't really see a reason why a tyranny player couldn't join in the fun. I can't believe they didn't add that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think Johnny. it's because if you had to try and actually put it into clear statements, do you know what I mean? Like, if you had to actually put it down as cohesive wording to basically say, take this entire expansion and reword it for a tyranny player, it could be difficult to do from a a, a technical standpoint if you're trying to be very precise with it. It's, it's all like an added complication you don't need to put down with so many rules as written when intent would be easy enough to adopt if yeah. you want to do it. I want to, uh, I want to play it. I mean, when might be September. Could be September. Just as soon as possible, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be interesting to sort of play it with different scales of combat as well, because, yeah, sure, you could have full tank companies like the Guard could do, but there's no reason why I couldn't bring an entire Orc buggy army to a spearhead game. Everything still meets the conditions and the requirements. I'm bringing like mostly pure vehicles. It's just that rather than having maybe ten to fifteen toughness seven, you know, twelve wound vehicles, I'm going to be bringing twenty plus toughness six, ten wound vehicles. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm working on a smaller scale as an individual, but I'm bringing squadrons of vehicles or multiple squadrons. I want to do it. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel I'll miss the narrative stuff because it's um, I play a lot of like match play, but then, yeah, the narrative stuff is. Um, well, could you imagine so playing the Doomsday Device scenario that you played against Chris, but doing it with spearhead armies? Uh, yes, that could. That'd be interesting, actually, because the the way the mission's set up, you shooting the doomsday device is basically the same, whether it's a you know like a battle cannon or a lasgun, because it's so high toughness. You're always like wounding it on a six, so must yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I want to try. Just it. imagine you, yeah, I could imagine you having your bane blade trying to crash through. Um, those admech lines trying to get past all the dune crawlers and the um, scorpius tanks and the imperial knights or whatever trying to get to that doomsday device so rather than having rattlings doing the work for you you're bringing your uh you're leaving russes instead yeah yeah one day, I mean, one there's, day. There's, yeah there's lots of potential with spearhead and basically <laughs> there's a few forms of um 40k that i think of as being the real big kids kind of games because if you if you put like you know toy tanks and stuff with like young kids there's a few different things that they tend to like doing 
One of them is all the tanks ever. Like, who needs the army men? Let's just have a big tank battle. That's what Spearhead is. But then you've got ones that are like, I'm going to... They'll quite often play games where one of them will have a fortress and they'll be playing a siege game. Like, well, that's Stronghold Assault. But how often do you actually see, like, real hobbyists playing 40k in the way that creates those cinematic pitched battles that young kids really like to play? Yeah, that's true. That often. Yeah, it's quite rare. No. And there's rule sets like Planet Strike, Stronghold Assault, Spearhead that allow for those very sort of cinematic, very like little kid games played out by us big kids. Yeah, I oh man, I just want I want to I want to be able to play again. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm looking forward to getting a game in the game when we get back. And I think taking the time to play something like this, something more spectacle-based and more cinematic, is a good way to really get back into the game, not just picking up you know, your usual Eternal War mission that you used to play every other week, because it's what you used to do. Play something different. Play something unusual. Make it memorable. Yep. Completely. Yeah. And speaking of memorable, I believe you have a very memorable hobby project that you've been working on for a good past six months or so that you're going to tell us about now, aren't you, Jake? If you would like, yes, I can do that. Yeah. I think we might as well just jump straight into it. So obviously we've just been discussing everything to do with spearhead and mass tank battles and you yourself have... Well, basically, you've got a big Bane blade that you've been working on, haven't you? And you spent a lot of time and effort on it, and the results really show. Like, it's excellent, and anyone that hasn't seen it yet should go check out, you know, the Cadian Shock blog. Is that where they're likely to find most of the progress stuff about it? Yeah, so, um, well, the thought at the beginning of this, if you go to cadianshock.com forward slash BB, as in Bane blade, then it will redirect you to to the post about the Bane Blade. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's on um, it's on my blog. Um, I've had it for I've had this model for like three years, and it's just been. I feel like if I've done it three years ago, it wouldn't. It, it I don't know. I wouldn't have done it. To, well, no, I definitely wouldn't have done it to the same level. Um, but I built it three years ago tried to magnetize it it sort of works but um there are some things that once you do it on the model it's very difficult to to turn it into a magnetized version um and i i probably wouldn't recommend it um just because it's a lot of effort and it makes it very it's a lot of faff um and they're so great to build and paint that should just buy buy two and then buy another. You're talking about and... things like weapons options and stuff, Jake. No, because you can make eight different you can make eight different versions. Oh, of you're it. talking about like full on changing yeah. like the hull and the main weapon. Yeah, sorry, yes. Stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah, so so I've magnetized like the, the top of it to sit on top for the Bane Blade and the Hellhammer and then you can take that off and then you can slot in because the way like the Stormlord has the turret up front, but then the What's the one with the volcano? It, Shadow Sword. I didn't know you, you'd, you'd actually done that because anything that I'd seen about it was all just the standard Bane Blade, like yeah. 
which personally is my favourite anyway, so I love it. Um, but I didn't realise you'd actually managed to create it as a like variable yeah. loadout build. Yeah, it's not perfect because I think like like the the volcano cannon, the long the big long one, um, that's used for like three or four of, of the builds. You know, like all the like the the one that has the quake cannon, and I don't know all that. I can't, I can't. Who knows all the names of them? Um, you know that that cannon is used for loads of the different types of um, barrel that fit into that housing, that static housing, and and so once I glued that together, I couldn't then make it into. So if I got another barrel and 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 made it into the right sort, I could run it as something else. So if I got another one. I might glue that together as a a bane blade, and then I could use the volcano cannon and turn it into the tremor cannon, and then I could slot it on so it so it's accurate to be a whatever it is that has the tremor cannon. Um, so there's things like that where I, I haven't really got all eight variants. I've got like the storm lord, the shadow sword, bane blade, and hellhammer, and there's other bits and pieces that I've messed up. Like the bane blade has an auto cannon next to the battle cannon, but the hellhammer doesn't. So I've magnetized the hellhammer and battle cannon on the main turret, but technically the hellhammer doesn't have an auto cannon, which is which I've glued on right next to the main cannon. So <laughs> it depends. You know, it depends how. Having seen this vehicle be. messed up is quite a funny word to use, Jake. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it. I would not say that. Like, it's a bit of a masterpiece work because I mean, yeah. the other element of the build to this like real masterpiece that you put together is you put like LEDs in it, didn't you? Yeah. So I did that three years ago, and I have no idea where I got the kit from. I I can't find it anywhere on like my eBay purchases or amazon or anything but but it's a re like there are other things out there that are very similar to it but it was really easy to do it's just like one little board i don't know anything about electronics it's one little board that you can plug you plug a switch into a battery into and then your leds into and then it's just a case of like i just drilled holes in the side of the chassis inside and slotted the leds this is during the build like once it's built you, you've got no chance of doing anything like this and then drilling out where the lights are and slotting them in so i've got a white a white and a blue on both because there's two lights each side on the front so there's a white and a blue on on the left and a right and a white and a blue on the right and the rear's got two reds um and it's got like a little switch and i was going to mount the switch underneath uh and then uh, somebody, I don't know who, mentioned something called a latching reed switch or a reed switch, which is basically a switch that is activated by a magnet. And there's, I bought the wrong sort. So um, <laughs> there's there's a type that um, that when you put a magnet to it, it toggles it on or off. Uh, and then there's another type that when you put a magnet to it, it's on um, or off, depending on which which way it which type it is um and then when you take the magnet away it it turns it off and i bought that type what i wanted was a was one way you just show it the magnet and it turns it on and then you take the magnet away and then you show it the magnet later and it turns it off but i bought the one where the magnet has to be there constantly um <laughs> which yeah, so rather than it being a like an on off uh electronic fob it was a 
it completes the circuit, so it has yeah. to be present. Yeah, which was interesting. Uh, and I ended up making ended up making this like massive piece of uh, track and chains and sandbags with a magnet in the bottom of it. So I glued the I turned the switch on. The switch is always on, and I put the reed switch underneath the front um, like hull of the bane blade and then this um sandbag track like piece of armor with chains on it then sits on top of that and it's got a magnet on the back of it so when this piece of armor um and stuff is on top of the front the lights are on and the chains then sweep underneath um and there's magnets underneath so the chain like you can just droop the magnets underneath or the chains underneath and they just stick to the magnets underneath the Bane blade like halfway down the chassis, so it just looks like they're drooped down and then um they're stuck to the they're stuck underneath and then the lights are on when that's in place and then you have to painstakingly peel it away along with all the chains off the off the magnets off the bottom. But um there's a video of that. Um I don't know if I embedded it in the um blog post. Um I think I video. saw it on your Instagram where you were demonstrating it. Yeah, it's on my it's on my YouTube as well um i'm sure um of me like peeling it on and off but um yeah so that that's a uh, that's another another thing that i did on it which well, it's it's it. funny that you say that that was a mistake because i did not get that impression at all when i saw it i thought it looked like it was a very deliberate choice because it looks excellent because obviously i can see that like the effective battery pack as it were because you, you need to put this on for the uh, LEDs to work like you had to you had to do something with it to make it look like it was an organic part of the model and then the yeah. way you've put together that like it's almost like a supply cache of spare parts and exist sandbags and it really gives the the tank sort of like a lived in feel because it has to carry its field supplies with it to do its repairs and things and it looks yeah, what... excellent yeah, I wanted it to be the the other thing I wanted, and this will come. But the nice thing is, I suppose I can I can change it up. So one day I'd like to model just a Cadian sat down with a magnet in his bum, and then you can just sit <laughs> you can just sit him on the front, and then he'd turn the lights on. Or you know I could get like a like a, a cat, you know, like a cat that sat down and put a magnet in the cat, and then you could just sit the cat on the front of the bane blade, and the lights would come on. So. Over the over the years, I may add um, different types of magnetic switches to to sit on the front of it. Um, but yeah, quite. I might, I, have, a, I might have a Grinx model somewhere if that would be helpful. Oh, a what? A Grinx, forty k cat. I feel like I should. It's, know. One that, um, it's the one that your brain has on a base. Right, right. I think mine are from a different source than that, but. Uh, Yes. Uh, the, yeah, the, the most modern oh, Grinx cat yes. is your brains. Yes, I know the like the Eldari, Eldar. Is it an Eldar thing? Yeah, she's a Yanari. Sorry. Yes. Uh, and the and the Grinx cat is it's not actually an Eldari species, but it's um, just an exotic alien species that um, it has like a psychic affiliation, so it's a popular um, companion of Eldar. Ah, yes, maybe that might work, Dave. That might work. All right, hit me up um, when we're not recording okay. the podcast. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> just, okay. Just, just make sure uh, your regimental commissar doesn't know you're smuggling in legal exotic Legal, yeah. Beasts. Yeah, 
yeah that would be yeah that would be good so that's a, that's a nice a nice thing um chains i would highly recommend chains to people who do tanks and stuff because they add like a I, the barrels on the back was another accidental improvement or change I, I, don't, I don't like them because i built it three <laughs> years ago um i glued them on uh, and they're sort of big and i don't know also i glued one of them upside down like in the the things that house the barrels i think it's got a skull on and one of them was upside down and i couldn't get it off i mean it's had three years to set i'm never going to get it off um so i was like how can i and i and i had some spare camo netting from um doing some some uh my, my tanks ages ago and it's just gauze it's just medical gauze sprayed green and then like sprayed with uh Zandri dust i wondered what that was that you'd used for that yeah it's medical gauze i bought i bought some, like some packs of it maybe four or four or five years ago i thought oh, i'll just buy like 10 like i don't know how much they were net nothing and i've got absolutely loads of it because each pack has just got loads of layers like it's dead thin and so in my hobby chest I've got loads of medical. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I've got a little field field hospital. Um, I was gonna say, does your wife imagine you just really like clumsy with your craft knife? Uh, she doesn't imagine it. She knows it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had to use it. Haven't had to use any of it for that. Um, but I just draped it over the barrels, like painted them red, gave them a wash, draped it over the barrels, and then glued chains over them so that it looked like the chains were like holding the barrel the, the camo netting over the red barrels and that was a nice compromise to having the barrels but not loving uh not loving the aesthetic of them uh so yeah i, oh, I did another thing i did on it like this project it, it was like yeah leds did that years ago right now i'll finish painting it and then just added like little bits like the camo netting and and the armored front oh. thing is the switch but the antenna was were were um were fun to do as well and adds like a um i don't know it changes it basically the antenna the like the vertical plastic antenna you get with them um, or aerial i said some, i said antenna to someone i didn't know what i was talking about but i mean aerials aerials i snapped them off by accident but then I replaced them with them, um, like, is it fiber optic? You know, like the mm-hmm. very, um, yeah. from, a, from a kid's toy. Uh, uh, one, uh, it, it, there's this fiber optic thing on the shelf next to me. And um, my youngest broke a piece off and I was like, ah, this, this could, this could go somewhere. So I drilled holes into where the aerials were, painted the fiber optic black, glued it in. And then um, green stuffed a magnet to the end to give it some weight, and then just added magnets to the end until it gave the right bend, um, and then just painted the magnets <laughs> black. And now they have this nice like wobble, wobble to the uh, aerials. It's a nightmare to store, um, but it looks really good. <laughs> it does. Like this is why I wanted to get you on to talk about it because it's not just a bane blade that you've built and painted this is something that you've clearly spent a lot of time and effort really personalizing and making your own and the results really show it and it's funny listening now how a lot of those little customizations are actually the results of 
mistakes, as you put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. None of it was pl- not a lot of it wasn't planned, um, and it's quite like if you go to the the blog the blog post, like the first, I'm just looking at the first section of photos. Is it all finished? And then as you scroll down, you can see like all the extras and like yeah, like adding uh, adding bits and bobs and yeah, doing doing the um, I did a um, did a spotlight as well on it, like blended red and black. Um, that was interesting. Never done that before, uh, but that was quite that turned out quite well. And doing doing lenses, there are loads of ways to do lenses lenses, but the way I do little lenses people might want to know about this is do them do them with the gemstone paints from games workshop um dead fast and gives especially with like you know like the little lenses you get above guns and like um heavy bolters and stuff i mean i don't know whether they're meant to be lenses but um, i do them optics and stuff yeah Yeah. like do them with the jet like paint them silver put a blob of the gemstone paint on um and it and it and it has like a, a thickness to it that stays. So it actually, if you put it on as a blob and then put it so that the blob doesn't run downwards, um, then it will dry as a blob. And then if you put like a blob of uh, hard coat on it, then it will dry really glossy. And I usually like add a blob of hard coat, let it dry, add another drop, and it builds up like a, a clear glossy dome. Um and they they turn out it's dead easy like and it, it turns out pretty well anyway you might have to put a a, a post up uh, explicitly for that technique because that sounds like something really worthwhile trying out uh yeah i think that's uh that's about it i could uh, I, uh yeah I could, you say I could about that's about it but that's a good six months or three years plus of uh, work right there <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't touch it for for a lot of that time, um, just because it's quite. I mean, it's quite daunting. Um, but I'm glad I left it because it meant that I could put. Um, I could. I don't know. I did it. I did it right. I'm happy with it. I've not fielded. I've not fought. It's never seen. Never fired a shot in anger though, because of the because um, this lockdown. So, um, it's. I've actually. I've got a list ready to go with it. Um, so it so it's all right yeah I'm, i can't wait i can't wait to field it and then i covered it in pigments at the end um i highly recommend that to people as well using pigments because they're dead easy and it and it adds a lot of um adds a lot to the model um without really uh without a lot of effort um yeah yeah that's it and it's called the nameless storm because um, I don't name my stuff, and then someone said you should name it, so I called it. The so it has it hasn't got a name. It's called the Nameless Storm, so it's still nameless. Um, I don't like naming stuff because it, it's it feels like that. I don't know. I feel like I should paint it on, and that's its final name. Um, but that's uh, but but I do like having it, giving it a name, so maybe I should. Yeah. I think something like that certainly deserves a name, but to be honest, the nameless storm is also quite a good one. Like <laughs> yeah. It's quite yeah. suiting already. Yeah. One of the photos I've got a plaster on my finger, I've just noticed. So and I'm actually holding a piece of medical gauze in that photograph. So I do maybe maybe the time's come in where I need I will need it in a 
in its proper for its proper <laughs> use. Yeah. Right, I, I should have about that now. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Unless you've got any more questions. You got anything, Dave? No, no, it's just absolutely fantastic that like you've been asking. And uh, anybody who's not um, uh, followed those, uh, read that post, uh, really should um, follow that link that you gave. What was that again? Uh, Cadianshop.com forward slash BB. Thanks. Yeah, just totally go and have a look because it, it's totally worth it. Really inspiring, especially if you've been stuck on a model that is, is dragging. Uh, you know, you can get to that end point and it can look awesome. Yeah. And in this case, it's just one step on the way to a, a large spearhead force, but certainly yeah. a good step on that way. So, yeah. Um, that's more or less everything from us today, guys. So, just before we go, we're going to leave you with a couple of our community spotlights and just a few things to check out in the wider 40k community. Um, so, Dave, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, just a couple of quick ones. Uh, I've recently joined uh, the Isolation Painting Challenge Facebook group where people are posting all sorts of images for all sorts of game systems, ancients, epic, uh, you know, 40k, Age of Sigma, you know, uh, interwar, Napoleonics, whatever, um, that, that they're working on. And I'm finding that quite inspiring while we're all kind of stuck at home and it's driving me to paint a bit more. So I, I'm really enjoying that. Um, and that's 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 the first one. The second one, very recently, came this week. I had White Dwarf four five three for, for this month come through the door, and there's a there's an article in there in the forty k section about creating your own Space Marine chapter, um, and and building up the background and the stories you're doing that, um, and and some guidance on on how to do that. And they've created their own uh, chapter within the studio called the Tome Keepers. Uh, so Tome as in book, which sounds like a kind of Space Marine librarians of the shh kind rather than the librarians we're familiar with. But uh, yeah, the idea is presented there. If you if you subscribe to White Dwarf and you've got that, it's well worth a read and, and, and it gives a, a lot of that narrative flavour to, a, to a, a guide you on how to build that narrative flavour into your homebrew Space Marine army. Oh, nice. I think there's um, a lot of examples of the like Warhammer team members and st- uh, Warhammer, Warhammer World staff members and so on who have created their own Space Marine chapters and yeah. uh, I can imagine that the White Dwarf team probably have drawn a lot of that experience and uh, it's definitely a good resource for this sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it for me. Uh, what about you? Um, for myself, I just wanted to give a shout out to the... Um, the Warhammer 40k Orcs Facebook group. Uh, I sort of jumped into it earlier this month and I've been really enjoying it because it's a, just a great little community. There's a pretty much a Facebook group for every faction, sub-faction, anything uh, 40k related. And if you're really enjoying a particular army or project at any given time, I, I suggest getting involved with like-minded people, um, especially at the moment during the lockdown been able to sort of find new communities and new stuff to discuss about what is you're working on is really um, just an excellent idea and a great experience and for me that's been the 40k orcs group and uh, there's so many cool ideas and conversions and gasgals that have already popped up on there and all sorts it's uh it's been really encouraging and um i've been sharing a few 
of my various deaf school projects that I've been working on and people have been asking at large for inspiration and there's certainly a lot of inspiring stuff on there so it might not be the orc one but whichever one's for you yeah i use the god god one and um it's uh yeah it's really good especially like custom regiments and stuff yeah i can imagine like there's probably plenty of people on there that have created all sorts of things from all sorts of uh, guard models over the years um for me my community spotlight i i haven't been doing a lot with some I don't know stuff online because I've just been busy but um uh if you like your guard Cadian stuff then Cadian Sergeant Steel on Instagram he has uh loads of stuff uh painted and it's really good. He's currently doing I think it's a mine is it a minor tour, the big Forge World gun? Have I made that yes. up? No I don't think so. Is that, is, that, is that yeah? Is that what they are like? The massive artillery. Yeah, I think um, that's what it's called. Yeah, uh, he's doing one of those at the moment, and uh, it looks great. Um, and uh, the other one is, I'm gonna say, to the Warhammer community because I was on one of their posts recently, which was kind of cool. Um, it was called Perpetual Progress, and. Uh, yeah, it was just about um, keeping, I don't know, keeping going with your hobby projects. But I, but I, but it was a long time coming. I think I first was asked about it. I don't know, last year at some point. Um, but it's yeah, it's been a long time coming. But um, there's a couple of other people on there as well. Uh, it's a really good. It's a really good read. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's like lots of little tips. Like you know, if you're stuck with something or you're not sure you know you've sort of lost your way then um, yeah there's loads of little tips on there from me and other people um about getting stuck in and getting stuff done um yeah i'd recommend it but yeah it was kind of it was yeah it was cool to be on there so uh so yeah that's my community spotlight yeah and if you haven't checked it out yeah definitely go check it out over on the uh, the Warmer community page um so yeah like i think that is basically everything guys so um dave jake it's been great chatting with you both again and i uh, hope you're surviving lockdown and i hope everyone else out there is looking forward to when it's all lifted and we can go back to playing games again yeah i'm sure we all are but we'll cope in the meantime we'll paint paint for your toy soldiers while we're stuck and then uh, there'll be some great battles and stories to tell when we get back to the tabletop definitely oh, definitely <laughs> yeah take care guys stay safe thanks for talking tonight it's been good it has so until the next time guys this has been the narrative wargamer podcast helping you to discover more ways to play what's a game